Really great to be with you all this morning, and it's certainly a joy to worship together. Um, for those of you in the room, great to see your faces. For those of you online, glad you're with us. I hope to see your faces as well, Lord willing, before long. Uh, we have been in this series together called The Sermon, where we've just been walking through the Sermon on the Mount verse by verse, and we started in September, and believe it or not, we are coming close to the close. This is the last month we've got today, and we've got three more messages, and then Easter, which I cannot wait for. Apparently, I'm not the only one. That's great, but I wanted to tell you all, I have so loved this study together, and how shall I say this? The, the whole Bible is amazing. And there has been something special to be in the very words of Jesus together in these months. His words have made me love him more. I hope that's been true of many of you as well. In last week's message, and if you missed it, you can always watch these online, by the way. In last week's message, Lloyd said, we've reached the summit of the sermon. And so if you think of the sermon as a mount, like the sermon on the mount, if you think of it as a mount, he said, we reached the summit. And that was the, the golden rule, which of course everybody knows, not that many people necessarily live, but everybody knows. And that's kind of the summary of everything. It's the summary of, of all that Jesus has been teaching. And then Lloyd said, right after the summit, you start the descent. And he used this analogy of coming down the mountain and in this passage, this last part of the sermon, Jesus gives four warnings as he and his disciples are, in a sense, descending off the mountain. Not literally, but again, using this analogy of the, thinking of the sermon as a mountain itself. And Lloyd said something I didn't know because I'm not a mountain climber, that the most dangerous part of climbing a, a dangerous mountain is on the descent. More people lose their lives. There are more fatalities on the descent. And so it's Appropriate that Jesus is giving four warnings. And last week's warning, enter by the narrow gate. This week, the warning is, beware of false prophets. Next week, it'll be, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And in the last week, which is this, the story of the two builders, you know, building on the rock, building on the sand, the warning is, be careful not just to hear my words, Jesus says, but to actually live them. So Jesus warned his disciples because he loves them. Have you ever been warned about something by someone you love? Or someone who loves you is probably a better way to say it. And, and no, this would not be the policeman who pulls you over and decides to just give you a warning. I don't know that there's a lot of love there. But think about when you were little. And think about when you were a little kid. Now, everyone's actually had this experience, you know, with, with a parent who will say, don't touch the stove. Or they'll say, make sure you look both ways and are really careful before crossing the road. And, you know, as little kids, we kind of just like, oh, mom, oh, dad. But they, they, they do this out of love. They're out of protection for you. By the way, don't object to being treated like a little child in the kingdom of God because that is what you are, I hope. And that is exactly what you want to be. And so Jesus loved his disciples enough to warn them about a few important things, and that's the section of the sermon that we're in, and he loves us the same. He loves us enough to warn us, and if you 
really want to hear the words of Jesus in these warning texts, you have to hear them in the voice of Jesus, which is always a voice of love. He desires life for you. He is for you. He wants you to be so full of life and and abundant, overflowing kinds of life that he was willing to die for that. And so when Jesus gives us a warning, he always does it out of love. Today's warning is particularly urgent for us in our time. It's particularly timely for us, even in like this very moment, this very season of where we are right now in our history. The warning is beware of false prophets. And we'll dive into the verse in a minute, but I want to say this to kind of set it up. Since the very beginning, human beings have been engaged really at the center of this epic battle for our minds. The evil one's first strategy against the people of God was to deceive. It's actually his only strategy ever since. The Bible describes him as the father of lies. He is the deceiver. His goal is always to twist our minds into believing things that aren't true. And by the way, not usually 180 degrees untrue, usually just 10 or 15 degrees, just off that much. But that's the difference that will pull us away. It seems in our day and time, truth is harder and harder to come by. It's harder and harder to recognize. I think it's been harder and harder to drive a stake in the ground and say, you know, this is true, that is not. Of course, we want to do that with all the love of Jesus. So how do we balance, you know, truth and love and all these kinds of things? It's hard. It's complicated. You might say it this way. It seems to me we are in a particularly fierce point in the epic battle for the minds of mankind. And for that battle, God has given us this book. Thousands of years ago, he spoke his word through the writers of the scripture, and ever since, he has been preserving it, he has been protecting it, he has kept it in order to put it in our hands today. And this is our time. This is our generation. God has done this. He's given us the scripture. He's preserved the scripture because he desires life for us. He desires freedom for us. John chapter eight says, then you'll know the truth and it's the truth that will set you free. God's word is true. So his words in this book are for us life. They are words of life. And so Jesus desired good things for his disciples. So he warned them about being deceived. He desires good things for us. So he's warning us even this morning, right now, in this message, in this text about being deceived. And he is encouraging us to keep our focus on him. Now I'm starting to preach the text before I've actually gotten into the text. So let me not do that. Let's look at our scripture starting in verse 15. Verse 15, Matthew chapter 7, if you haven't already opened your Bible, beware of false prophets. Now I'm going to stop right there for a minute. That's the idea. Like that's the warning. There it is in these four simple words. The whole text that we're studying this morning is based and everything that comes after is modifying it or supporting it or explaining it. Now, the first thing we have to know, well, what, what, what are prophets? Biblically, particularly in the Old Testament, prophets were specific people. They were men and women 
who spoke for God. They kind of were the mouthpiece of God, if you think about it that way. And they would speak words, and then you know, thus saith the Lord. These are the words of God. Many of their messages, by the way, are what make up our Old Testament scriptures. Now, the context of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about beware of false prophets, I don't know that he was exactly specifically thinking of that specificity of men and women who, who, who spoke to the people on God's behalf, I think he's referring to anyone who claims to speak truth. Anyone who says, this is the way. This is the will of God. This is the, the design that God made you for. This is the way. Now, I hope you can start contextualizing that into our culture. There's a lot of people who say, this is the way. This is what you need in life. This is what you're designed for. This is what you're thirsty for. This is the answer to the problem, etc. So in that broader sense, which is exactly how I think Jesus was intending to, to mean, a prophet could, in our day, could be a teacher, could be a preacher, could also be a writer, could be a social media influencer, could be a YouTuber, could be all kinds of things, information that's coming at us in various forms of media. Now, I want to remind you of something that you know intuitively, but we forget sometimes, and, and here it is. Many people who make truth claims are not speaking for God at all. And so Jesus is saying, you have to beware. Now, that's a little bit of an old English word. What that really means is just watch out, pay attention, be on guard. In other words, there's a lot at stake. So think, beware, pay attention. And so that's the message, that's the warning. Then the rest of the text, Jesus teaches two very important lessons about false prophets because you know, he's a good teacher and you can't just say, beware of false prophets and then change the subject. People are gonna be like, well, how do I know? Jesus is gonna teach, he's gonna explain, he's gonna give two lessons about false prophets. Lesson number one is right here in the rest of verse 15. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. All right, lesson number one about false prophets. False prophets don't look like false prophets. That's important. They can look great. They can sound great. Their words often have the ring of truth. This is what makes them so dangerous. This is precisely what Jesus is saying. Now, Think about it this way. If you're blogging through, or you're, I'm sorry, browsing through blogs or, or skimming YouTube videos, you know, as, as we all tend to do and all, the, all these kinds of things we have access to, and you come across an author or a speaker, you come across someone and he's just out there saying, God's a joke, all Christians are idiots, immediately your guard will come up. Most of you, most of us, immediately our guard will come up and be like, okay, okay, I might listen to what the guy has to say, but I'm immediately gonna approach this with a little bit of suspicion. Jesus is actually saying, those are not the ones you need to be most wary of. Like, those are not the ones he's warning them about. He's saying, you need to be wary of these, these ones that, that look like real prophets, that, that sound like they're speaking for God, that they've got the ring of truth to them, but he uses this analogy. It's like, they look like sheep on the outside. What he means by that, because he's speaking to sheep, so to speak, they just look like you. They think like you. They talk like you. They, you're like, yeah, okay, I, I resonate with that person. But he says, inside they're like ravenous wolves. Now, what he means by that, he just means that's the level of danger that there is for your mind being influenced, like even 15, 20 degrees off course from Jesus himself, who is truth. He's saying those kinds of influences in your life can be as dangerous to you 
as a hungry wolf is around a sheep. Now, all of us are thinking, yeah, but I'm a tough sheep. I'm a smart sheep. I can defend myself, whatever. If you want to follow God, you, you, you follow God, you lean into weakness, you become a sheep. You follow your shepherd. You say, oh, I need him. I need his help. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to heed his warning. And this is the invitation for us this morning is to lay down some of our pride. Now, the obvious problem is if I can't recognize these false prophet, these false influencers that are steering me away from Jesus, who's truth himself, if I can't recognize them because they look like a sheep, but they're actually a wolf, what am I to do? How am I to recognize them if false prophets don't look like false prophets? That's lesson number two. And that's the rest of our text. Let's take a look. You'll recognize them by their fruits. That's, that's the lesson right there. You recognize them by their fruits. He's going to go on to describe it. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Then he's going to say the same thing again, but even more emphatically. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree can bear good fruit. And then he's going to talk about the consequence of, of, of the, the, for the tree that's bearing the bad fruit. And guys, this is serious business. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, if it's worthless for fruit, you're going to use it for whatever value it can bring, which is just firewood. It's just kindling. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. He, again, he restates this lesson. You will recognize them by their fruit. So here, here's the idea. You're not going to recognize them by how they look or how they sound or all that external stuff because they're, they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Here's how you're going to recognize them. You're going to recognize them by their fruit. He's shifted the metaphor from shepherding, you know, sheep and wolves to gardening. These different kinds of trees and fruit. He's saying teachers and leaders are like trees in the sense that they will always produce something. There will always be fruit that will come from their influence. It will either be good fruit or it will be bad fruit. And notice that Jesus gives only two categories. By the way, that's the theme in this whole section. There's two, in each warning, there's two. So last week, there were two ways. There's not a middle way. There's a narrow way and a broad way. Jesus says, choose the narrow way. This week, two fruits. There's not like, oh, that's like mostly kind of good, but sort of rotten. It's good or it's rotten. It's healthy or it's Diseased. Jesus is saying there's a law of nature at work. When you have a healthy tree, it produces healthy fruit. When you have a diseased tree, it produces diseased fruit. And so the way you're going to know what's inside a person who may look like a sheep but is actually a wolf, he's saying the way you're going to know is you look for the fruit. And by the way, that takes time. Like you have to look over time, but over time there will be fruit that will be produced. What kind of fruit is Jesus referring to? This is really important if we're going to recognize false teachers or false influencers by their fruit. Here's where I want to start in answer to this question, what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about? 
in the context of the whole sermon, surely one thing we've learned is righteousness is not just what you can see on the outside. Righteousness is not external only, right? So we've been using the image of the iceberg all throughout. I thought I'd bring it back one more time for us in this series. What's above the water is what people can see. And, and, and from a righteousness standpoint, that's your external acts or that's someone else. They look really good and they go to church. They, I see them pray. And they do other things. They maybe give money, etc. But what's underneath is 90% of the iceberg. What's underneath is your motivation. What's underneath is your heart. What's underneath are all those really hard things to be transformed. Now, I was thinking about this iceberg. I was like, what Jesus is basically saying is he's like, hey, you won't necessarily recognize them from the outside because they're going to look one way and they could be the other. So how are you going to recognize them? Well, the, the whole person over time is going to produce fruit and you look at the fruit because you can't see under the waterline of someone's heart, can you? Let me give you another image that I think may be even closer to Jesus' specific context in our text this morning. Now, in real life, you can't see what's below the ground, just like in real life, you can't see what's below the water of an iceberg. You cannot necessarily tell if the tree is diseased or not just from looking at what's above the surface of the ground. It might have root rot that just has not yet had time to manifest itself in the trunk and the leaves and the fruit of the particular tree. But Jesus is saying, so one way to measure the health of the tree is by the fruit it produces. He's saying if the tree is rotting, if it's dying, if it's on its way out, it's not going to keep producing healthy fruit. It, it can't. So just as a tree's fruit is the ultimate measure of a tree, so a person's fruit is the ultimate measure of a person. He says you'll recognize them by their fruits. So we're going to talk more about a person's fruit. But let me say this first. I, I believe Jesus is talking about not just the fruit that's on the tree, but the fruit, the fruit that's multiplied by the tree. Here, here's what I mean by that. When you influence others as a teacher or a leader of some kind, their lives begin to bear fruit from your influence. When we are influenced by others, our lives begin to bear fruit from their influence. That's just how life works. Think about parenting. Think about the companies, organizations you might work for. Maybe you're a leader in that organization. This is just sort of a law of leadership. Over time, followers begin to act like their leaders. Over time, students begin to think like their teachers. So it's not just the fruit on the tree itself. It's the fruit that's produced around the tree, by the tree, as the tree multiplies itself. And again, this will either be good fruit or it will be bad fruit. Jesus is saying, pay attention to the fruit. Even more than looking at the tree, look at the fruit. And some of the fruit's on the tree, but some of the fruit's on you if you're in their sphere of influence. It's growing in you as well. Okay, so here's where we've been so far. And we can go ahead and remove that image. Thank you. We have a warning. Watch, watch out for false prophets. And then we've gotten two lessons about false prophets. Number one, false prophets don't look like false prophets. Number two, but you can recognize them by the fruit they produce. That's how you'll know. 
Now let's talk about how to examine the fruit. Because surely that's got to be the application. Right? Surely the disciples, as they're, you know, walking down that mountain after Jesus was done teaching, they're thinking, okay, all right, I, 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 I need to start learning how to examine fruit. I need to become a better fruit examiner. <laughs> I did not know how to finish that sentence. <laughs> I thought it'd be fun to start with literal fruit. So I, I brought some fruit with, with the help of Joe Blair. And I, I have here, I've got an apple, a plum, a pear. Uh, I don't even, that's a peach. All right, and I've got an, another apple, and, and I think I've got a couple more things in here. All right, I'm just going to pull it all out, Joe. Okay. <laughs> okay, now, you go to the market, and you're fruit shopping. Okay, you're at the farmer's market or wherever you are. How do you know what the good fruit is? Well, you're going to use all your senses, Literally going to use all your senses. Now, I don't know a lot about fruit, so I did a little Google, and come to find out, everything's there, right? So you can actually Google how to tell if fruit is good, and you come out, I think it was like howstuffworks.com or something like this. All right, five easy steps. Number one, check the color. All right, so I'm going to do this. Now, you know, I'm like, okay, red apple, green apple, two different colors, but I happen to know because I know a little something about apples. This is a different type of apple. They both look good to me. Pears, got that nice... Well, I think we even call that pear color sometimes. It's that nice greenish, and you got a peach. And I, all the colors are, for the most part, they're looking pretty good to me. Squeeze the fruit is the second step. Some should be firm, while others shouldn't be as firm. Now, the first thing I'm thinking to myself is, well, you got to know a little something about fruit. This is an apple. It's firm. Is it supposed to be? Yes. Okay, a little know a little something about that. But now I pick up the pear. I'm like, oh, the pear's not quite as firm, all right? It's a little softer. That's good. I'm going to pick up the peach. It's a little softer still, and I got this other pear. Oh, Oh, this one does not feel right. Interesting. Okay, I don't think I'm going to buy that one. Step three, check the stems. I did not know that was a thing. According to this website, some fruits like pears and cantaloupes should be a bit softer around the stem. Okay, here's the pear. I'm feeling the firmness there, a bit softer around the stem. Okay, all right, just a little bit. I can see that. Never knew that. Now, by the way, I know this is a little weird in like the COVID season. You're in the marketplace. Someone's like all handling the fruit. It's like, how have you guys been evaluating fruit in COVID? I, I don't know, but this is what I'm instructed to do. The fourth thing is to smell the fruit. Ah, I don't have COVID. That's good to know. It smelled like an apple. Okay, it's a very distinctive peach smell. Now, even if I didn't know what apples and peaches were supposed to smell like, it's pleasant. There's nothing that bothers my, my, uh, my smell about that one. All right, this one I'm a little suspicious of already. Oh. It's, it's kind of sweet, but it actually, it's got another thing going for it. The last thing is look for luster, which I don't actually really know what that is, but it's another kind of visual thing. I think it's about the shininess. And so this is apples. Look like they've got some luster. Okay. If, if you buy the fruit or if you grow the fruit yourself, you can actually go a little bit further. You can cut it open. I just so happen to have. <laughs> beware. Beware the false prophet. <laughs> now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut some of this fruit. And um, I promised Jody I would be careful with this part. Okay. There's, there's an apple slice. That looks good to me. I'm, what am I looking for? I'm looking for brown spots. Man, that's a nice, I think I'm going to, 
enjoy that in a minute. And I'm going to cut up this suspicious one, and I don't really know what's going to happen because I didn't have this in the first service. So, oh, oh, I don't know if the camera is capturing that. Let me hold it, I'll hold it up for those of you that can't see. It's just kind of as like a gobbity gook on the table. The last thing you can do is you can taste the fruit, and trust me, of the two pears, I know which one I'm going to taste and which one I'm not. Good produce is one of God's gifts to us. I mean that seriously. Now, what's the point of all this? The point is, if you want to examine fruit, you have to get up close and personal with it. You can't stand off at a distance. You have to, you have to, pay, you have to pay close attention. You've got to use all of your senses, so to speak. You have to know what to look for. You, you, you have to examine it closely. A casual glance will not do. By the way, this is why I desire to be known by you and to know you in community. This is why in our fellowship groups, we want to have relationships with one another. This is why I want you to know me and Lloyd. I want you to know our elders, and it's kind of hard to do in a bigger church, but I'm gonna keep saying it. Come down front after services. Introduce yourself. I would love to meet you. One of the dangers in our time is so many of our influencers are people that we will never meet. We will never be close enough to actually see the luster or the lack thereof. What do you look for specifically? According to Paul in Galatians 5, true spiritual fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I was trying to keep up with some of you and I was like, I don't know that I can do it. But I, I got them all. When you get close enough to a person to see beyond their teaching, to see beyond their leadership, and you find these things, these fruits, you know the Spirit of God is there because these, these are spiritual fruits. These, these are, in other words, they're the produce, the product of the Spirit. Where the Spirit is, spiritual fruit is. That is not to say we should expect perfection. In fact, even when I come over here to this good pear, there's a little brown spot here. It's not a perfect pear. But here's what it is to say. It is to say that the measure of a spiritual teacher or a leader or an influencer is not charisma, and it is not gifting or knowledge or intelligence or oratory skill. It is the spiritual fruit that comes from a heart being transformed by Jesus. So in this sense, this is not just the fruit of the Spirit. This is the fruit of Jesus. I want you to think about this. Jesus embodied the fruit of the Spirit more than any other individual by far who ever lived. He completely and wholly embodied the fruit of the Spirit because he was completely and wholly united with the Spirit. He was yielded to the Spirit. He was completely dependent upon the Spirit every single breath that he took. Jesus stands alone in human history as having only good fruit. So look at 
Muhammad and, and, and look at the teachings of Buddha or Confucius or any other person who has you know, started a movement or started something. Jesus stands alone in human history as having only good fruit, not one ounce of unlove, not one ounce of ungrace ever came from him. All of that that's been done in the name of Jesus is done by us. His followers, and by the way, there should be grief in us for how and when we do not look like and act like our master. Here's where I'm going with this. Ultimately, Jesus is the good tree who bears the good fruit. That's the standard, period. You read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter five, well, what does that look like in a human being? Look to Jesus. So therefore, anyone who produces fruit that does not look like the fruit of Jesus is not speaking for God. They might have some very compelling things to say. They might be very engaging. They might, they might even have some things that resonate with you, and yet... They are not speaking for God if they don't have some of the fruit of Jesus. So, and by the way, we have to do this with so much humility, don't we? But when examining a teacher or a spiritual leader or influencer, the best questions to ask are, do they sound like Jesus? Do they act like Jesus? Can I see the fruit of the Spirit in them? And again, you can't look for perfection on, uh, from anyone except for the one, Jesus. But is there a sense of love about them? Is there a sense of joy about them and, and peace? Or, or, does it, or does their teaching seem to actually move in the opposite direction toward, toward agitation and, and, and anxiety and, 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 and anger? Maybe if you really evaluate, you step back and you say, I, I don't mean at all to be unkind, but Jesus has called me to, to, to evaluate and discern. And, and if I'm honest, they, they're super smart and talented. They know the Bible and they're quite sure of themselves, but there's very little of Jesus in them. Now, in addition, and, and by the way, I know this is scary business in a way, Right? Didn't we, didn't we Jesus just teach us, judge not lest you be judged? And then he goes on to say, and you need to be evaluating. <laughs> this is this tension of the gospel, and Lloyd's talked about this as well, so keep following him in this. But in addition to examining the fruit in the lives of teachers and spiritual leaders, we should also examine the, the fruit produced in us by their influence. Right here is a huge application for us. So, I don't know where you are mentally if you've been drifting off or falling asleep. Like, this is the moment because I think this is the application for us in our particular time. Here it is. We need to start paying attention to the fruit produced in us by the media we consume. We consume more information and opinions and messages per capita than any generation in any culture before us not even close. And by the way, our kids' generation will be even more than us. And our grandkids' generation will be even more than that. That's just how the, the, the exponential curve has been going. Here's something we don't like to admit, but it's true. The voices we pay attention to are shaping and molding us into their image. 
By the way, that's why I'm thrilled you're here. Not because of me, but because this is the voice. It comes through this book. And you've got all these other voices and all these other influencers in your life, but at least for one hour, or you know, hour and 15 or hour and 20, depending on who's preaching, at least for one hour you're here and you're coming under the influence of the Holy Spirit speaking through the text. But it is true, the voices we pay attention to are shaping and molding us into their image. And, and let me say this, of course, many of the voices and truth claims out there that, that we're exposed to clearly do not represent God's perspective nor claim to represent God's perspective. Those are not the ones Jesus is warning us about in this text. Those are not the wolves in sheep's clothing. Those are just wolves. And they're easier to recognize. Jesus is actually warning us about something even more dangerous. Do you know what I believe is more dangerous to us right now? The voices that claim a biblical worldview but do not produce the character of Jesus. The fruit they produce is nothing like Jesus, nothing like his teaching. Which, by the way, that's why when we got to the Beatitudes, they sounded so incredibly counterculture, even to Christian culture. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are, are us when we're persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. These sound foreign even to the Christian culture because so much of what's being produced out there is not the fruit of Jesus. It's not the fruit of the Spirit. These are like wolves in sheep's clothing that produce the fruit of anger and despair and anxiety rather than the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. By the way, this is something we have in common with Jesus' day. His harshest words were not for those that were not claiming a biblical worldview, that were just a mess and just sinning rampantly, trying to find life in all the wrong places. He, he engaged them with gentleness and love and just entered right where they were. Jesus' harshest words were for those that thought they had to put it all together and they believed were speaking from, for God. And their fruit was nothing like the fruit of the Spirit. And so Jesus called them on it. So the question to ask for our day might be, is the media I consume helping to produce the fruit of the Spirit in me? Or another way to ask it, are the messages and voices that influence me making me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? I want to take even another step of of specificity in this application. I want to encourage some of you, with, with, by, by the way, with, with, with I, I pray and hope, love in my heart and, and gentleness. I want to encourage some of you to back off of certain websites, social media, TV programming, YouTube channels, podcasts, not because they represent the wrong side of the debate necessarily, but because they're producing in you the wrong kind of fruit. They may be producing in you anger instead of joy, arrogance instead of kindness, hard-heartedness instead of gentleness, fear instead of peace, suspicion of others instead of love, for others. 
I'm not saying we should bury our heads in the sand and just be like, ah, I'm just going to only think happy thoughts. I'm not going to engage the world. That's not how Jesus operated. But I am saying pay attention to the effect the media you consume has on you. For many of you, you may need to change the media diet for the sake of your soul. Guys, Jesus wants your heart to be soft. He wants your posture to be open-handed and compassionate toward people, not defensive and agitated and dug in. And so I want to encourage you, cut out the things that produce bad fruit in you and seek out the things that make you more like Jesus. Seek out teachers and leaders and influencers who engage the world, yes, but engage the world the way Jesus engages the world, which is a powerful and compelling mix of truth and compassion, truth and gentleness, truth and self-sacrifice. That's the kind of engagement that you, that you will follow when you start to follow Jesus. And so here's the way that I've been thinking about it. Okay? I've been like dropping down more specific and more specific in the application. I've got another layer still to go. This is for me. I've started thinking about it this way. This way. I want to identify things that stir my affection for Jesus and consume more of those. And so here, here's what it looks like for me. I've started listening to different Bible teachers. And you're like, oh, that's nerdy, you know. Bi different, you know, Bible teachers. You're all listening to things. You know, for me, I, a lot of what I listen to is Bible teaching. I'm sharpening what I do, but it's just also for my own soul. But listen, I've started listening to different Bible teachers. Here's why. I, I want to find teachers who not just know the Bible thoroughly, but also love Jesus passionately. And, and that shines through in their teaching. I've been seeking out movies and novels that center around stories of redemption. And they're not all, most of them are not Christian. They don't have to be Christian, but they're stories of redemption. Why? Redemption is at the core of God's heart. Stories of broken things being made new. Those are the kinds of stories that stir me. I, I want to seek out music that awakens my soul to God. Not all music does that. Most music does not do that for me. But I, I found some that seems to just awaken my soul to God. I want, in one last layer of specificity this morning, I just want to tell you two things that have stirred my love of Jesus in the past 12 months. And if, if you haven't consumed these things, I, I'm going to encourage you to. And, and the first is a book. It's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. I read this book because of the byline. The heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. It's a short book. It's an easy read. It's a marvelous book. What Dane Ortland does in this book is he takes Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, which is Jesus, come to me all who are, are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for my heart is gentle and lowly. And he says it's the only place in the Bible where we get a description of Jesus' heart. And for like 18 chapters or so, he just comes at that verse from a different angle. And you just, you can't read it without just your, your love and appreciation of Jesus Christ just being expanded. It's a marvelous book. I commend it to you. Secondly, I want to share with you a show. 
a TV show. Although I don't know if it's TV because you, know, you, you stream it and all this, but some of you know this. Many of you may know this, The Chosen. Do yourself a favor. If you've not watched this, go home. Like literally go home tonight and start watching it. And you're not gonna find it on Netflix or whatever. You download the app on your phone and then it can somehow magically go from your phone to your TV. There's some way, some special technological magic that that happens. I think it's also on YouTube. I'm not mistaken. They've done one season, eight shows. Here's what I'll tell you about this show. First of all, it's not one of those shows that's like, every single line spoken comes directly from the Gospels. And some of you are thinking, well, how do I know that's not false prophet? Look at the fruit. And I will tell you from someone who's watched all eight episodes two or three times, it is faithful with the scripture. And the fruit that it is producing in me and others is, is love of Jesus. I, I'm this show, for some reason, has ignited in me a deeper love for Christ, and I think it's because it's helped me imagine what it would be like to actually see him and follow him and be with him. And it is marvelous. So a book, a show, that's just for me. Here's my encouragement for you, and I'm gonna go to the application slide as we wrap this up. We end this way each week. Jesus, show us what it means to follow you. I think here's our steps this week. Ask this question, what teachers are you being influenced by? I put teachers in quotation marks because it could be a podcast, could be a blog, could be the, the, the media outlet you go to for your news, all kinds of number of things. What teachers are you influenced by? Spend some time examining the fruit in their lives as best as you're able to. And maybe more importantly, even the fruit in your life that results from their influence. And then secondly, Find the things that stir you, that stir your affection for Jesus and spend more time with those things. And I've given you two examples. There are so many more. And by the way, it doesn't just have to be media necessarily. I mean, for some of you, your affection and your heart is stirred for Jesus by being in his creation. Guess what? The weather's turning nice. Take advantage of that. Some of you, you have a great aunt or grandma that you haven't talked to a while, but every time you talk to that individual, there's something in you that just your love of Jesus comes through. Or maybe there's a particular type of food even that you just eat and it just takes, takes your, your whole being to worship of God and gratitude. Just find the things and spend the time on those things and try to starve out the things that are robbing your affection of Jesus while you feed the things that are fueling your affection for Jesus. That's how this works. And we're gonna spend some time right now worshiping, which I know for many of us, is a growing area that fuels our love and affection of Jesus Christ. So let's do that together. Stand at your feet and let's sing.